Aphrodite by D.G. Rampton, Chapter 28 The following morning, April received three uncommonly early calls in quick succession. Mr. Kepling was the first to sound the door-knocker and to be ushered into the entrance hall by Leighton, just as April was coming down the stairs on her way to meet with Mrs. Plum. "'I am so glad to see you, Alfie,' she greeted him warmly. "'I owe you an apology for ruining what should have been a perfectly pleasant ride yesterday.' "'Not at all,' he replied quickly. "'It is I who must beg your forgiveness for being such an insensitive clodhead. "'I wouldn't have blamed you if you had refused to see me today, "'but I wanted to find out if you were recovered.' "'Perfectly,' she assured him. "'My indisposition, for want of a better word, is only ever of a temporary nature.' usually when my person happens to find itself on the back of some poor equine creature. I'm sorry if I was the cause of any anxiety. No, no, the blame lies squarely with us for being blind to your distress. I chose not to let you see, so the fault remains with me, she replied, already bored of his gallantry. I hope you did not mind that we left the park without you. Eustace was kind enough to procure a carriage and escort me home. Oh, yes, he told me, and I didn't mind in the least, I assure you. Ah, before I forget, he removed a small glass vial from his breast pocket and triumphantly held it out to her. I've found some. What is it? she asked, taking the bottle from him. The heart's horn. Heart's horn? Having no recollection of what had passed between the gentlemen yesterday, she stared at the bottle in distaste. She had always felt a certain disdain for women who relied on Hartshorn and the like, and assumed feeble constitutions in an effort to make themselves interesting. Mr. Royce suggested I procure some for you, he explained, a little crestfallen at her reaction. Only it took me a dashed long time to find it. First I tried an aunt of mine, thinking it'd be quicker than going to an apothecary, but she would have it that I sit down to breakfast with her. And by the time she let me get a word in edgewise, it was near enough midday. Not that she had any, as it turned out. Apparently never touches the stuff. Seems strange to me. Thought it'd be just the thing she would use, for she's forever complaining about her nerves failing her, so it stands to reason. In the end, I had to go to the apothecary after all. But by then, I suspected you were already at home and didn't want to be disturbed, in case you were indisposed. And I thought Lady Hartwood would probably have given you some. But the thing is, I've no use for it, not since my mother died, so it's yours if you want it. Oh, how thoughtful of you, Alfie, she quickly put in, moved by this tangled speech. Thank you for going to so much trouble on my behalf. A little heart's horn is just the thing to revive me. Mr. Kepling instantly brightened and waited. Too late did April realise her mistake. Oh, I did not mean now. I meant... She faltered under the weight of the earnestness of his expression. He appeared inordinately eager to witness her availing herself of the beneficial effects of his gift, and she realised with a sinking heart that, although he hid it better, his infatuation with her still continued. She removed the stopper and slowly raised the small bottle to her nose. Regrettably, it was at this point that the second caller of the day made free use of the door-knocker. The noise so startled April that she inadvertently drew in a sharp breath, and the noxious fumes burnt their way up her nose and into her lungs. She instantly fell into a fit of coughing. 
from which she only recovered once Leighton had hastily procured a glass of water for her. Mr. Kepling was all solicitude and hovered about her until his attentions became so oppressive she snapped, Please, don't fuss over me. She could see that she had hurt his feelings and had to stop herself from softening her rejection. The sooner he was brought to realise that she was not the woman for him, the happier he would be. You know, Alfie, she went on, when she could breathe easily again, I am not at all the type of female who enjoys having a knight in shining armour at my beck and call. But don't lose hope, my dear. Somewhere out there, the perfect girl is waiting for your chivalry. Her expression held a wealth of meaning and made it impossible for Mr Kepling to misunderstand her. He coloured and looked away sheepishly. Having made her point, April turned to Leighton and said, The door, if you please. I am fully recovered. The butler cast Mr Kepling a dark look and, muttering to himself in a way that left no doubt as to where he lay the blame for his mistress's short-lived affliction, he shuffled to the front door. I heard you the first time, he snapped as he opened the door and glared at the unsuspecting visitor. It was doubtful whether the Duke of Clarendon had ever been greeted in such a way before, and he stood for some moments uncharacteristically lost for words. Leighton, do let his grace come in, April instructed. My apologies for keeping you waiting, Eustace. I was temporarily indisposed. The butler grumbled under his breath and stood aside and allowed the Duke to enter. Thank you, Leighton, said April, laying a gentle hand on his shoulder. Could you please ask one of the maids to bring up the tea tray and also the Madeira cake that was baked this morning? Then I would greatly appreciate it if you would sit down with Mrs Plum and finalise the menus for the coming week on my behalf. I have no time myself and I know she hoped to finish her shopping list this morning. And afterwards, perhaps you could compile a list of the wines we should purchase for the coming months. I know I can count on you to know just what we like. We still have several dozen bottles from the lot Mr Royce sent round, Leighton said crustily, none too pleased by this fact. April saw his grace's eyebrows rise slightly and felt compelled to explain, Mr Royce believes it is his responsibility as our landlord to stock our cellar. Of course, agreed his grace, but there was something in his eyes that filled April with a strong desire to correct his evident misinterpretation. The wine provided by Mr Royce belongs to the house and must remain here, she told Leighton, which is why I would like us to buy our own stock, it will likely take several hours for you to compile the list, so I suggest you find somewhere quiet to undertake the task, your room perhaps, and allow Keenan to take care of any callers. As soon as Leighton had left to carry out his orders, his grace said with a wry expression, You know, my dear, you will soon run out of tasks that require him to be seated. Poor Leighton, she sighed. His knee is paining him terribly, and his temperament suffers as a result. I hope you are not insulted by your reception. Not in the least. Nothing can dent my dignity, and I rather enjoy his attempts to try. If I did not fear it would kill him, I would be tempted to offer him a position myself. No, don't do that, she laughed. He is likely to give you a shocking set-down and put me to blush. But I know you're not here to steal my servants away from me. Not on this occasion. I have come for a rather pedestrian reason to see how you are faring after yesterday's adventure, and I see I am not the only one. Cousin, had I known you were headed here yourself, 
I would have ventured to suggest at breakfast that we combine our resources and arrive together. A slight flush rose across Mr. Kepling's collar at this gentle ribbing. They all knew why he had chosen to visit alone. Alfie most thoughtfully arrived early to drop off the hartshorn he purchased for me, April said in his defence. Hartshorn? But I distinctly remember you telling me you cannot stand the stuff, said His Grace. You must have misunderstood, she replied, giving him a quelling look. Won't you both come upstairs? I'm certain my mother will wish to thank you for all you did for me yesterday. The cousins showed themselves willing to follow her, and together they made their way up to the first floor and entered the drawing room. Here they found Lady Hartwood reclining on the settee and reading a slim book of poems. It seemed unlikely that they had captured her fancy, for she was frowning down at the page and moving her lips as if mulling over the words. Upon perceiving them, she uttered an exclamation of delight, promptly dropped the book, and, swinging her dainty feet to the floor, got up. His grace, not content with a simple salutation, glided over to her and bowed over her hand with a new flowing gesture that had cost him several days' practice. Eustace, you put us all to shame with your execution of something as commonplace as entering a room, teased April. I'd hazard a guess that your dance master has trained you in the secrets of ballet, for you are quite exquisite. Hush now, love, her mother entreated. What must his grace think of such a sally? His grace is delighted to have his efforts recognised, he replied, smiling. And yes, there is a dance master to thank. French, of course. No one embodies the maxim, truth is beauty and beauty is truth, quite like the French. I have never been to France, said April, so I am happy to take your word for it. Never been to France, he exclaimed. What a shocking waste. You of all people should visit. You would be worshipped as a veritable goddess. She smiled and said, Aphrodite, perhaps? Bien sûr, he laughed. Who else? Lady Hartwood listened to this familiar, teasing exchange and felt a stirring of alarm. From all her mother had told her of the charming Duke, she had expected April to warm to him, perhaps even to befriend him, but nothing more. However, what she was now witnessing bore all the marks of real affection. Most of the ton had married based on far less. If her daughter proved to be so contrary as to take it into her head to marry the Duke of Clarendon, thought her ladyship, feeling aggrieved, all the plans she and her mother had been working on for the last few months would be laid to waste. For the hundredth time, she wondered if she should have been honest with April from the start, rather than lead her to think they were hoping for a match between her and the Duke. But there was no denying that matters were complicated and had to be approached with circumspection. When her mother had first revealed her extraordinary plan, she had been adamant that a decoy was necessary to distract April from their true purpose, as it was an unfortunate part of her character that the more one tried to steer her in a particular direction, the more she resisted. And Lady Hartwood had to own there was some truth to this rather severe interpretation of her daughter's character. Still, it went against her nature to mislead anyone, let alone her own daughter, and had her mother not sworn her to secrecy, pointing out that their scheming was all for securing April's happiness, she would have crumbled and confessed all by now. 
While her ladyship brooded over the potentially disastrous consequences of her daughter taking it into her head to marry his grace, Leighton's deputy, Keenan, entered the room and announced the third visitor of the day. Mr. Royce, he shouted, and then beat a hasty retreat, clearly uncomfortable in such elevated company. Where do you find such delightful servants? His grace murmured in April's ear. Am I allowed to poach that one from you? She cast him a reproving look, but her eyes did not linger on him. Hugh entered the room and was annoyed to find that he was not the only visitor to have chosen to call at such an early hour. With all that had occurred yesterday, he had forgotten to give April the correspondence Mrs. Delamere had entrusted into his care, and he had come today to finally do so. At least, that was part of his reason for visiting. The other part had a good deal to do with the unwelcome, but nonetheless persistent urge to satisfy himself that April suffered no lingering ill effects. Striding forward, he presented himself to Lady Hartwood. How do you do, ma'am? he said, taking her hand and smiling down at her. I apologise for calling on you at such an early hour. I wanted to find out if your daughter is recovered from yesterday's excitement, before your admirers descend on you. But I see I was not early enough. He glanced across at the cousins in a manner that could scarcely pass as a greeting. It's always a pleasure to see you, Hugh, dear, said her ladyship. But I shall let you address your question to my daughter. She tells me she is recovered, but I know she would never admit to it if she were not. Hugh turned to study April with a deliberation she found unnerving. Really, Mamma, she said, laughing uncomfortably, I am perfectly sincere when I tell you I am myself again. Hugh's eyes lingered on her, and April was relieved when a maid entered with the tea tray, for it afforded her the opportunity to turn away and serve. I hope you will excuse me, Hugh addressed Lady Hartwood, but I can't stay long. My other aim in coming today was to deliver some correspondence into Miss Hartwood's hands. April was in the process of handing Mr Kepling a serving of cake and looked across at Hugh with a puzzled expression. Correspondence for me? Yes, Mrs Delamere requested I deliver it personally. The information contained within apparently also pertains to myself. Oh, I see. She waited for him to hand her the letter. However, he made no move to do so. In private, he said brusquely. Oh, of course, I... I shall take Mr Royce to my office, Mamma, unless you have some objection. None at all, returned Lady Hartwood, looking remarkably pleased. In the last few minutes, it had become clear to her that although her daughter shared an easy affection with the Duke, her loss of composure in Hugh's company pointed to feelings of a depth and complexity that outweighed those of mere friendship. Now run along, love, she continued, and have no fear that we will miss you. His Grace, Mr Kepling and I are perfectly capable of entertaining ourselves. Indeed we are, agreed His Grace. There is not the least need to hurry back on our account. Our business will take no more than a few minutes, said Hugh in a dampening tone. And after waiting for April to pass out of the room before him, he followed her. End of chapter 28